Well, I want to get, uh, get us into the Bible together. First Thessalonians 4 is where we find ourselves today. We've been just working through the book of First Thessalonians. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul at a, at, to a church uh, at a city in Macedonia called Thessalonica. And that city is a, is a place where Paul stopped and planted a church, but he was very quickly chased out of town. He didn't have long to stay there and establish that church, so he communicated with them through letters and other correspondence. He, he sent his good uh, friend and co-worker Timothy to build up the church there. He's pouring into them. And where we find ourselves today in this letter is Paul is responding what, to what appears to be some questions that they had about various topics. And so we're going to look at a um, very personal topic. It's one that all of us have questions about. It's one that all of us will have to deal with and confront. And that is the topic of those whom we know and love who have gone on before us. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll read verses 13 through 18 together. Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Would you pray with me as we look at God's word together? Father, not just the Thessalonians, but us who are here today have to face grief, have to face the pain of seeing loved ones go on before us as as Paul describes it here, those who are asleep, those who are no longer with us. And yet, you have good news for those of us who grieve in the Lord. You have good news for those of us who are trusting in you. And it was your desire that Paul would encourage those who were grieving. So today, I pray that that would be the effect of your word on our own hearts. That we would be encouraged. That we would be strengthened that we would rely on and trust in you in an even greater way. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we, as we think about this, this topic, I, I want to emphasize that, that Paul's intention is to give hope. He's been perhaps made aware of people who are grieving, and they're grieving just like those who don't know Jesus. They're grieving just like those who don't have answers for death. And so his instruction to them is that they ought to grieve, but they ought to grieve in light of the resurrection of Jesus. The first thing you see on the handout, if you have the handout, go ahead. Let's take some notes as we follow along today. The first instruction that Paul gives them concerning those who are asleep, we are not to grieve without hope. Of course, I think it goes without saying, but let's say it anyhow. 
This does not mean we are not to grieve. It would be inappropriate to go through life without grieving. That, that, that would reflect a numbness that's probably not healthy to many of the things that happen in this world. But we are not to grieve as those who are without hope. Verse 13, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. In Paul's eyes, the answer to grieving with hope is to have the right information. We don't want you to be uninformed so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. So that's sort of the foundation of everything that we're going to look at today. As we think about grief and as we think about those who have gone on before us, we need to be reminded that we have incredible hope. We have eternal hope. We have the resurrection of Jesus. We have the goodness of God, the grace and mercy of God. And we have assurances and we have promises that ought to give us hope as we grieve. Paul gives at least three reasons in this passage of why we are not to grieve without hope. You'll see these on the handout. The handout says, because, and then the next three statements are all related to why we we should not grieve without hope. One, because Jesus lives, and so will those who die trusting in him. In the shadow of death, in the shadow of this harsh reality that, that not only will we have to say goodbye to loved ones and, and let go of people that are very dear to us on this earth, but that we ourselves will face death. In the shadow of death, our great hope is that Jesus is alive. And because he lives, we know that those who die trusting in him will also live. Paul says in verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It's difficult to reconstruct the exact question that the Thessalonians may have asked that prompted Paul to respond to this. But at the very least, we we can see that as first-generation Christians, as ones who were some of the first people to embrace the gospel, this is just a couple of decades after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And so there's a lot of things that need to be answered. There's a lot of questions that they have. And one of the questions that inevitably comes up is, okay, we know that Jesus is coming back, but what about those who have died before Jesus comes back? Little did they know 2,000 years later, we'd still be asking the same question. Paul points them to the fact that Jesus lives and so will we. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. John chapter 11 is an interesting story about Jesus dealing with death and resurrection. His friend Lazarus has died, and his two sisters, Lazarus's two sisters, are in the midst of their grief, in the midst of their mourning. And Jesus shows up at the funeral, and he, 
he has this interesting conversation with one of Lazarus's sisters. In John chapter 11, we find it in verses 23 through 26. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Well, that seems to contradict everything else that we know to be true. But what Jesus is referring to here is that, yes, the body does die, but those who believe in Jesus, they will never die. They will live forever because he himself is the resurrection. Martha believed in the resurrection. She said, I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus says, no, you don't understand. I am the resurrection. Everyone who is in me lives now and lives forever. So we have this assurance that because Jesus lives, so were our loved ones. Because Jesus lives, those who die trusting in him will never truly die. This is good news. This is good news for all of us who have had to or will have to Say goodbye to a loved one. Those who trust in Christ, those who have have made the gospel their hope, will never die. Think about that. Think about the enormous impact of the resurrection of Jesus. He died so that we don't have to. He He himself, God incarnate, tastes of death on our behalf. He tastes of a death that transcends what you and I understand about death. We think of death predominantly in a physical sense. We think of the reality of our bodies ceasing to to go on, our bodies ceasing to operate in a, in, a, in a living way. Jesus speaks of death in a spiritual sense. There's much more to life and death than these physical bodies. And he came so that we would live forever. So that in, in that sense, in the most important sense, we would never die. So one of the reasons we are not to grieve as those who are without hope is because we have a living and risen Savior. We have a Jesus who lives. And he promises, he promises that those who die in him, that those who trust in him will live with him forever. Even if their body goes to sleep, their soul lives with him. So it is for us as well. When we come to that hour of death, of physical death, we have this assurance that it is merely just that, just physical death. Our souls will go on living. We will be with him in that moment. This was meant to comfort the Thessalonians 
whose, whose loved ones, that, that, you know, people ask this, these questions all the time. Well, what happens to, what happens to us after we die? I get, sometimes I get asked that question at funerals too. Like people, people are wondering, okay, so my loved one, I understand the, the reality of physical death, but what about their soul? Where are they today? What are they experiencing now? We don't get every answer to every question that we want, but we have this assurance. They are living. They are living in a way that you and I have yet to live. They are tasting of life in a way that you and I have yet to experience. Because Jesus lives, so will those who die trusting in him. The next reason that Paul gives us that we are not to grieve without hope The first one is because Jesus lives and so will those who die trusting in him. The second one you'll see on the handout is because no believer in Christ will be left out of his coming. This is an interesting, this is an interesting response that reflects there's, there's probably a depth to the question that we don't quite grasp or under, understand. I said it's hard to sort of reconstruct the questions that they were asking. We have Paul's answer. We don't have their question. And so we're trying to figure out what, what it was that they were asking about. Part of their grief seemed to center around the idea that they were expecting Jesus to come back to the earth at any, any moment or any day. And what was going to happen to those who had already fallen asleep? Would they miss out on Jesus' return to the earth? And the answer Paul gives assures them that no believer in Christ will be left out of his coming. Verse 15, he says, For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. That means, let me just say, all, all of Scripture is God's word, right? But when Paul says, we, we say this to you by a word from the Lord, that means that they actually had the words of Jesus during his earthly ministry to point back to. So what he's telling us is something that Jesus literally said during his earthly ministry. We, we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Again, a question here that maybe we don't ask a lot because we're not in their shoes. We're not this first generation church. We've been, you know, I think most of us, though, we often point to difficult things that are going on in the world as signs that the end is coming and that Jesus is going to return at any point. The reality is people have been saying that for 2,000 years. At this point, we have to say we don't know when Jesus is coming back. It might be during our lifetime. It might be another 2,000 years from now. We don't know. But to them in the first century, they didn't think that, that, that they would face death without seeing the return of Jesus. And so they were concerned. What about our loved ones? Will they not be here at Christ's return? Will they, will they miss out on this glorious event of Jesus' returning to the earth? Paul gives them this assurance. No believer in Christ will be left out of his coming. Then he he creates a timeline that has caused a lot of debate and a little bit of trouble in the church. He says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, 
and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ who are living with Jesus now will be the first to experience bodily resurrection. One of the things that that when Jesus returns to the earth to judge the nations, to rule and to reign and to to make this transition into his eternal rule, one of the things that has to take place is that the dead in Christ will be bodily resurrected. Now, that's wild to think about, isn't it? <laughs> what, will, what will that look like? We have to assume it's going to be beautiful. We have to assume that it's, that it's going to be an amazing moment when those who have died in Christ and have gone on before us receive an eternal body. We'll talk about this in in 1 Corinthians on the next point. But we know that these bodies cannot inherit eternal life. They don't last. These bodies weren't designed to last forever, but Jesus will give us a body that is designed to last forever. This raises the question, where are the dead in Christ now? Those who have believed in Christ and have died are currently enjoying a conscious, a conscious existence in the presence of the Lord. This is what is commonly referred to as the intermediate state. The, the, the state of, of being in the Lord's presence, blissfully so, to being in the, the Lord's presence, yet not having yet experienced a bodily resurrection. What does that mean? You know, some people, and this gets into a little bit of speculation. And that's okay as long as we don't get married to speculation. But some would contend that there's an intermediate body, that there's a body that, that, that those who have died in Christ are in right now. Others would say, no, they're bodiless. Either way, this is something we can't comprehend. This is something we cannot fathom. The point and the thing that we need to be assured of is that they are in the presence of the Lord. There's ample biblical evidence for this. Jesus told the thief on the cross, remember this story as Jesus was dying on the cross, one of the men hanging there with him made sort of an expression of faith in Jesus. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. To be in Jesus' presence, to enjoy paradise with him, The bodily resurrection does not have to happen first. Understand that. In in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says that while we are in the body, we are away from the Lord, even though he himself, Paul says, he would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. There's two options that Paul lays out in that text. We can be in the body, as all of us in this room are here today, and in that and in that ex- state of existence, we are somehow separated from the Lord. Yes, he comes and lives in us by his spirit. Yes, we experience fellowship and closeness with Jesus. But we're still not in his presence in the way that we will be. That's in the body. And that when Paul's writing those words, that's, that's where he's at. But he says there's another option, which is to be away from the body and to be with the Lord, and that is better. He says in Philippians 1, 21 through 24, for to, me, 
for, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. You see the two options there? Paul says, I can stay here in the flesh, which is good. It's good to be here. Earthly life is not bad. It's, it's not like in, in God's view of things, earthly life bad, heavenly spiritual life good. No, we have a purpose. This, this life is good and it's full of good purposes that God has planned for our lives. But it's not that life. It's not the life that we will have when we go and join him for eternity. Paul says that one is far better. Far better. How does he know? Well, we know from other scripture he tasted of it. God gave him a glimpse of what that would be like. But then he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So he wants to accomplish what God has given him to accomplish in this life, on this earth, in these bodies. But we have here again and again affirmed this idea that to die is to leave this body behind and to go be with the Lord. At Jesus' return, then the dead in Christ will experience bodily resurrection. And as they experience bodily resurrection, something else will happen. Next thing you see on the handout. As they experience bodily resurrection, we will join them and be with the Lord forever. So let me make sure we're, we're together here and we're tracking with where we're at. Paul's purpose in this passage is to encourage them and to help them understand that they are not to grieve as those who have no hope, but they are to grieve with hope. There's a big difference. And he gives them three reasons in this passage why they are not to grieve and why we are not to grieve without hope. One, because Jesus lives and so will those who die trusting in him. Two, because no believer in Christ will be left out of his coming. We don't have to be afraid that they're going to miss out on anything good. God has a plan for that. He will resurrect them bodily. They will join him in the air at the time of his return. And finally, we will join them and be with the Lord forever. Let's look at verse 17. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So, our loved ones who go on and die in Christ before we do. They've been separated from the body, but they've been joined with the Lord. They are in his presence. If it so happens that you and I are still alive at Christ's return, which will happen someday. I don't know if it's this generation or another generation, but someday Jesus will return to the earth and there will be Christians living on the earth at that time, those who have gone on before us will, will be the first to receive bodily resurrection, will be the first to receive their new eternal bodies. Then, 
And we have to think immediately following, those who are alive in Christ on earth will be caught up into the air and transformed, we'll we'll get to that in a minute, transformed our bodies, if this were to happen now, our bodies somehow would be transformed into eternal bodies and we go flying into the air to meet Jesus, which is wild. When those things happen, we know it's time for the return of Christ. Let me show you 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 58. Paul goes into a little bit more detail on the same subject. He says, listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, meaning we will not all die, but we will all be changed. He's talking about bodily transformation. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. The dead in Christ will be raised. They will receive new bodies, incorruptible bodies, and then we will all be changed. For this corruptible body, this is why this has to happen. Listen to this. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Don't miss that last part. The motivation that ought to come out of these truths, these these set realities that we who are in Christ will receive an incorruptible and immortal transformation. We We will be given a body which is like Christ. We will be given a body that cannot die. We will be given a body that cannot hurt. (laughs) Praise God. We will be given bodies that cannot become sick or diseased. The motivation that Paul expects to come from that is that therefore we will be steadfast, immovable, and always excelling in the Lord's work. People say things like, well, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good, or, you know, I don't want to be too spiritual, and not, you know, I just want to focus on what's right here and right now. I would argue that if you don't understand heaven, if you don't understand what is coming, you will be absolutely ineffective in how you live your life now. 
It's good to be heavenly minded. It's good to think about these things. It's good to fill our minds with thoughts of our future. And as long as that motivates us to live lives of faithfulness and fruitfulness for the Lord. At Jesus' return, the trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will rise first and then those of us who are still alive will join them and we will be with him forever. Now I got to talk about something that's somewhat controversial here within the church because in the in the last generation or so there's there's been some teaching that's become really popular that that teaches a different order of events here or another option for seeing these texts. And and if I could just sort of distill it down to two options. One, all of the events that we're talking about in 1 Thessalonians 4 and here in 1 Corinthians 15, when the trumpet sounds and Christ Christ descends and the dead in Christ rise and those who are alive in Christ join them and we meet with Jesus in the air, there's two things that could happen next. Once the dead in Christ are risen and, and we are raptured up to be with Jesus, does Jesus then continue on to the earth and, and bring about the eschaton, bring about the end of, of human history as we know it now? Or does all of that happen sort of secretly and silently and Jesus returns and us with him to heaven? That might sound odd, but those are the two options. There's a popular theological framework that teaches that Jesus will descend partway to heaven, rapture up living believers and dead believers, resurrect them, and return to heaven, and then judge the earth through the great tribulation, or that those things happen and they coincide with Jesus' return to the earth. Scripturally, I think the weight of evidence lies clearly, points clearly towards this is the final return of Christ. This idea of two returns, one where he raptures believers so that we don't experience the great tribulation, and one where he comes back later has very, very thin scriptural evidence behind it. Paul seems in both of these passages 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, to be speaking of the final return of Christ. Now, that's an issue that we can disagree over in the church. That is not, we talk here, we talk about closed hand and open hand issues. Closed hand things are things that we should die for, that we, we must be united on as a Christian. This is an open hand issue. Uh, if, if you believe in a, a secret rapture of Christians from the earth, and that Jesus isn't coming to, to rule on the earth at that time, that's totally fine. There are a lot of Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians that believe that. I think the scriptural evidence, though, is very thin. And I say that because 1 Thessalonians 4 is like the key text, and it's just really hard for me to get there from 1, or from 1 Thessalonians 4. But that's not the main point. The main point is that all of these three things are true, no matter which one of those theological systems you follow. 
Whether you're a rapture person or a non-rapture person, it doesn't matter what, I mean, the, the rapture is going to happen if by rapture you mean those of us who are alive in Christ will be caught up into the air with Jesus. I guess we're all, we all should be rapture people. But does the, does the rapture result in us going to, he, to you know, somewhere else, presumably to heaven with Jesus at that time while he judges the earth? Or does he come and we join him in his return to the earth? That's really where the differences lie. And as long as you believe that Jesus lives and so will those who die trusting in him and that no believer will be left out of his coming and that we will join those who have gone on before us and the Lord and be with them forever, I'm good. That's what the scripture clearly teaches here. And as long as that's where you're at, then, then we can be in good company. Now, let me get away from the controversy and back to what is most important here. Paul concludes this section in 1 Thessalonians 4 with verse 18, where he says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Which tells me Paul did not anticipate that 2,000 years later, Christians would be arguing over the meaning of the preceding couple of verses. Uh, He anticipated that there would be agreement on what this meant. And with or without that agreement, the application remains the same. We are to encourage one another with our assurance of and with the reality of the bodily resurrection of all believers in Christ to be with one another and with Christ forever. We're to encourage one another with that. As we grieve, as we experience loss in this life, let us not grieve as those who have no hope. May our grieving be done in the context of knowing we will be with them together again and knowing that they are with our Savior and knowing that we and them and our Savior will be together in glory forever. The point of this passage is not to spark a debate over the end times, but to comfort grieving Christians, to comfort them with a reminder that we will see our loved ones again to comfort them with the reminder that we will be with the Lord forever. So, fellow grieving Christians, as we go through this world and experience the loss of loved ones, we are not to grieve as those who do not have hope. The good news of the gospel is that eternal life is available to all who believe in Jesus. So what about you? I've been speaking I've been speaking as if we all have placed our faith and trust in Jesus. I've been speaking as if we are all on the right side of this issue of salvation and judgment. But the reality is is that it's possible you might be here today and you are not trusting in Jesus as your savior. This should be this should be cause to stop and reflect. When that day comes, when you stand before the Lord, which side of salvation will you be on? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ 
to be your Savior, to grant you eternal life.